Now, as we begin, I want to ask you this question. Are you familiar with the term idiomatic characters? All right, idiomatic characters. If not, let me give you a definition. You may not be familiar with this. And an idiomatic character is this. People who appear in popular expressions, whether or not they're based on actual individuals, historical or fictional. Now, you may still be a little unclear, so let me give you some examples, and I think you'll know exactly what I'm referring to. So we may say that a person is an average what? Joe, right? Chatty Kathy. A Debbie Downer. A negative Nancy, right? Now, this doesn't mean that anyone with the name Joe, for example, is average. Right now, you may be saying to yourself, I know somebody named Joe. They're not average at all. In fact, they're below average, all right? They're below average Joe. (laughs) Also, an idiomatic character does not necessarily have to be a real person. They're just an expressive way to describe someone. But there is at least one expression that is based on a real, true, historical individual, and that is doubting what? Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Don't you kind of feel for Thomas? I mean, after 2,000 years, it's almost like doubting is his first name. We forget so easily in John chapter 11 that he was willing to die for Jesus. He was ready to go to Jerusalem and die for Jesus, but we don't call him ready to die for Jesus. Thomas, do we? That's not catchy. But no, he's always remembered as doubting Thomas. And so this morning, as we look at this account in the life of Thomas and his encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, I think we're going to come away with a new appreciation for Thomas's doubt, for his skepticism. Because it's through his initial doubt that we can have confidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened. And we need to have assurance in the resurrection of Jesus because it, along with the work of Jesus on the cross, if he did not rise from the dead, it means nothing. We can have no confidence, no assurance that our sins are actually forgiven. No confidence that we have eternal life. There is no guarantee that Christ's work on our behalf was accepted by God the Father. And so this morning, as we look at Thomas, As we work our way through verses 24 to 30, I want to break it up in this way. The first part, we're going to look at the doubt of Thomas. Then we're going to look at the great confession of Thomas. And then the testimony, this ongoing testimony of Thomas. So first of all, let's look at the doubt of Thomas. Look at verses 24 and 25. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, or your translation may say the twin. He most likely had a twin brother. One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, a few years ago at Midwestern Seminary, I was in seminary at the time. I had the the great privilege to hear a sermon, really a couple sermons from D.A. Carson, Some of you may know who I'm referring to. He's a man now in his upper 70s. He's been a great blessing to the church through his scholarly work and his work as a preacher. He's been a great blessing uh, to me. And I'll never forget, he was preaching on this passage. I'll never forget the way he opened up. And he said this, you know, we need to kind of not lump all doubt and skepticism together because there are different kinds of doubt, different kinds of skepticism. They're not all the same. And so he went through some of these different kinds of doubts that a person can have. 
He said, first of all, there's the doubt that is due to a lack of knowledge. When it comes to Jesus and the gospel, some people just don't have any knowledge about who Jesus is. They're just not familiar with the claims of Christianity. This is one of the reasons that we put so much effort into Vacation Bible School. At our preteen retreat, we had around 30 uh, kids there, uh, fifth and sixth graders. About half of them, at least, never go to church. That's right. And so they're explaining, they're, they're really laying the foundation of what it means to know Christ. And I tell you, this past week at VBS, one of the favorite uh, parts for me was toward the end of the night. Now, this wasn't because I had a group of third grade boys. Let me tell you, they have energy, all right, these third grade boys. By Wednesday, they're getting familiar with me. You know, the first night, they're kind of not sure. But by Wednesday, they're, they're going crazy. It was great. And so there would be some delays in going to the different stages. And I said to myself, I'm going to have to get a little bit creative here. So I said, boys, we're going to do some push-ups. Then we're going to do some jumping jacks. I laid them down, and they were doing bicycle kicks because they had so much energy. I had to kind of burn it out of them. But toward the end of the night, there would be around 200 kids in this room, in this sanctuary. And what was so great is they were watching this video. And it wasn't like the video was all that great. I mean, it was fine. But 200 kids are looking at the screen, their eyes focused, hearing this story about Jesus. Many of them not connected to our church until this past week, and they're learning about Jesus. But you know, this doesn't just apply this lack of knowledge to kids. It's kids and adults. In our own community, more and more people do not know about Jesus. They just, they don't have any knowledge of who Christ is. And so I would encourage you, if you have a friend or maybe a family member, they may seem skeptical and have doubts, but it's due to just a lack of knowledge. And so I would encourage you to go to them and say, hey, can we we talk just a little bit about how who Jesus is and how he's worked in my life? And you may be surprised at how open and willing they are to have that conversation. But he went on, he said, there's another kind of doubt. And this is the doubt that arises when a person's faith is questioned or tested. And this can happen, for example, when a young person goes off to college. Maybe you experienced this yourself. I know that I did. I went to a so-called Christian college, but I found out pretty quick it wasn't Christian at all. And I can remember religion professors and then friends of mine who, who said they were believers raising questions about the Bible. For example, they, they questioned Genesis 1 to 3. They said, that's not a true story. It's just allegory. And that can chip away at your faith if you're not careful. But if it's not real, if Adam and Eve weren't real, then Paul's argument in Romans makes no sense because Christ is the last Adam. Just as a a real Adam entered sin into this world, so Christ, the last Adam, came to destroy sin. But they were chipping away at at the beginning part of the Bible. I had another friend who said, you can't believe in a God who died on a cross He said in my face, that's ridiculous. How can you believe that? And so these doubts can arise and you begin to question your faith. But let me add this, that's not all bad. Because when they're bringing up these things, these things I didn't experience in high school youth group, I wish I had, but I hadn't. That causes you to really develop some convictions in your faith. Do I believe this stuff? Do I believe God's word? And so these doubts can arise, and if you're not careful, if you don't dig deeper, 
It can destroy your faith. And you may never, and I've seen this from some of my friends, they never recover. But there's also the doubt that is a result of a thousand little choices. Just little choices. And this is such a dangerous one. Because this skepticism shows shows up not by just one big event, but just these little choices day after day after day. And what happens is after a few years of this taking place, you have this doubt and you walk away. So let me give you some examples of what, what I've seen, what we've seen as a staff. A person doesn't attend church very regular. Maybe they were coming three times a month. And then it's three times a year, and then it's not at all. They're not gathering with other believers. Maybe it's a person, they start to mess around with some some sins that really entangle them. They shouldn't be looking at that website. Maybe they're stealing some money at work, just little decisions. Or maybe it's that romantic relationship that develops at work. At home, you're neglected. You're not getting the attention that maybe you should from your spouse. But you get attention at work. You get the comments you're seeking at home at work. And those little conversations really bloom into this romantic relationship. And the next thing you know, you're having an affair. And what happens is after all these little choices, day by day, you wake up one day and you say, you know what? I don't believe any of this nonsense about Christianity anyway. And let me give you one more. There can be a doubt because of a painful crisis. You lose your job. Your spouse gets sick and never really recovers. A loved one dies unexpectedly. And given the intensity of the crisis, you can question God's love for you and say, how could God allow this to happen? And this crisis, instead of strengthening your faith, it weakens it and it may destroy it. But then Carson raised this question. What kind of doubt or what kind of skepticism did Thomas have? And he remarks that Thomas's doubt is what he calls stupendous religious disappointment. He's a scholar, right? You got to work with him a little bit. But we may narrow it down and just say Thomas had extreme disappointment. I mean, let's think a little bit about Thomas had been through with Jesus. Thomas was a follower of Christ, but not just a follower of Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples, one of Jesus' closest friends. He had seen Jesus do amazing miracles, heal people of blindness, feed thousands of people when there was no food. He heard Jesus make shocking claims that he and the Father were one. He he heard Jesus make this crazy claim that, that Jesus could forgive sins. But no one can do that but yet, but God himself. And so Thomas, he had been right there. He had been witnessing these things. He'd been having conversation with Jesus and the other disciples that no one else was having. And again, we find in John chapter 11 that Thomas, because he so believed in Jesus, he was willing to die for him. He gave up everything for Jesus. But now Jesus is dead. And all of Thomas's hope that he had placed in Christ as the Messiah, as the one who would make things right, had come crashing down with the death of Jesus on the cross. All that for Thomas was over. And so when Jesus appeared to the disciples on that first Easter morning, when they were gathered in this locked room, they were gathered because they were fearful. They thought what happened to Jesus would happen to them. And so they're, they're gathered, they're fearful for the life. Then Jesus appears before them. And they couldn't believe it. 
I mean, just a few days before they had seen Jesus crucified gruesomely on the cross. There was no doubt that he was dead, but here he is now in front of them alive. But Thomas wasn't there. He didn't see Jesus. And when the other disciples go to their friend Thomas and say, we've seen the Lord, he's alive. Thomas doesn't respond in the way that we think he might. But instead he replies, not in belief, but unbelief. And he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my fingers where his hands were, where the nails were, unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas, one of Jesus' most committed followers, is so disappointed. He doesn't believe the reports from his friends. It's too much for him. He says, I won't believe unless I see. And like it or not, this is the reason that Thomas gets that title, Doubting Thomas. But when we get to verse 26, we we move from this doubt of Thomas to the confession of Thomas, this, this wonderful confession of Thomas. Look at verses 26 to 28. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. The previous Sunday, Jesus had appeared to the disciples, and now once again, they're together, but this time there is one difference, and that difference is that Thomas is with him. Don't you love how though he did not believe their report, they have not given up on him? And wouldn't you love to know what Thomas was wrestling with this whole week from Sunday to Sunday? What what was going through his mind? Was he beginning to maybe believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And just as Jesus had done that previous Sunday, so he does again. He miraculously enters this room, and then he turns to Thomas, and his eyes are fixed on Thomas, and Thomas's eyes are fixed on Jesus. And I think Jesus gently and compassionately, I don't think Jesus was rebuking him, but gently and compassionately, he looks at Thomas, and he utters those words of Thomas. He says, see my hands, Thomas, see my side. Place your fingers where the marks of those nails in my hands are. He says, do you see where they pierced my side? Thomas, Jesus says, it's me. Believe. And when Thomas sees Jesus, he proclaims, my Lord and my God. This is one of the clearest statements in the Bible that Jesus is God. By claiming my Lord, what Thomas is saying is that Jesus is the Lord of the Old Testament, that Jesus is the Lord of Israel. By saying, my God, he is saying to Jesus, you are creator God. I mean, what a confession that Thomas makes. Again, one of the clearest statements in the Bible that Jesus is God, fully man, but fully God. But don't miss this. If Jesus wasn't God, By accepting this, if he didn't actually correct or rebuke Thomas, he would be blaspheming. See, what we see throughout the scripture is when an angel would appear to somebody, they were so awesome looking, they would fall down and begin to worship them. 
in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're doing these amazing things and, and the people, they think they're gods and they begin to bow down and worship them. And with Paul and with the angels, every time they rebuke him and say, don't do that, we're not God. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He accepts Thomas's worship of him, indicating that Thomas's confession is true. What an amazing transformation. Thomas goes from this doubter to making this, this confession about who Jesus is. He goes from unbelief to belief. You know, we're not even told that he actually touched Jesus' hands or touched his side. For Thomas, seeing the risen Christ was enough. That was enough for him to have this amazing transformation. But our passage doesn't end at verse 28, does it? Let's continue to our last point, and it's this. We've seen the doubt of Thomas. We've seen this great confession of Thomas. But lastly, we find the testimony of Thomas, or I might say the ongoing testimony of Thomas. Look at verses 29 to 31. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Again, I don't think Jesus is rebuking Thomas for that. He's just saying, you've seen me, now you believe that. That's wonderful. But then he says, blessed are those, a special favor on those who have not seen yet have believed. Verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I want to pose this question to you. When it comes to this passage about doubting Thomas, what is the main reason that this story is included in the Gospel of John? Now, I realize we've not done some long series going through the Gospel of John, but we've, we've looked at this story, and, and last week we looked also another story from John. But many of you are familiar with this great Gospel. Many of you are familiar with this story of doubting Thomas. It's not the, the first time you've heard it. So why does John include it? Is this story mainly included for Thomas's benefit? You know, there were some reports going around that, that he had doubted, and so John wants to kind of clear some things up. He wants to give Thomas his good name back. Well, that's certainly true. By including this in his gospel, uh, John's given us some very helpful information about Thomas. Or maybe it's a little more personal. John includes the story because we are like Thomas. We, we all have doubts. We are a doubting Thomas. And Jesus comes to us in our doubts, and he reveals himself to us. I'm sure you've heard messages like that, and that's great. But I don't think that's the main reason that John includes the story about Thomas. You see, John indicates in verse 30 that Jesus performed many other signs, many other things that Jesus did which are not recorded in his gospel. And what's so interesting in the Gospel of John is that scholars think only about 21 or 22 days of, of Jesus' life are recorded. Now, this isn't 21 consecutive days, but just kind of of all of Jesus' life, only about three weeks. And so we have limited days of Jesus. We have limited stories of Jesus. So why does John include this? And the answer is so that you and I will believe and have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. This story of Thomas is here for a very specific reason. You see, this story about Thomas is an ongoing testament. It's this testimony, this man that was not gullible. 
He did not have just blind faith, but yet he believed. And that's for us. You know, so often that uh, Christianity is kind of claimed to be this blind faith. But we can have confidence in the evidence that's in Scripture. We don't have an irrational faith. Now, at times we may have to step out in faith. We may not know everything. But even in those situations, we go to Scripture and we have confidence because of who God is. I want to share kind of a, uh, something that happened to me about a month ago. And it, it might have been because I was working on this passage. I'm not quite sure, but I had this thought. I was laying in bed, and then all of a sudden it came to my mind, if I was to die today, okay, this, this scenario that was playing out was, if I knew I was about to die, I was on my deathbed, for example, why would I believe any of this stuff about Jesus? I mean, this is the scenario going on in my mind. And I thought, you know, maybe an answer could be this. The experiences that I've had, that I've seen God work in my life and in the life of others, that gives me confidence. You know, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, it's God's word, which is, which is true. You know, some, some passage that, that kind of came out and really means something to me, and I've seen that play out. But what came to my mind is when I'm about to face my death, when I'm struggling with doubt, and for you, it doesn't maybe have to be that extreme, but you may be having doubts. Why do I believe any of the stuff about Christ? And it's this, the testimony of these believers. It's the testimony of someone like Thomas, someone who was doubtful, skeptical, who was not looking for Christ to rise from the dead. I think of that great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul, and Paul hated Christians. He killed Christians until he saw the risen Jesus. And he writes this, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised the third day. And then he, he gets to this in verse five. He says, Christ appeared to Peter and then the 12. And then he says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And he says, most of them are still living. See, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians about 20 years after the resurrection. And so what Paul is saying is, if you don't believe me, go talk to them. He says that Christ appeared to James. James was the half brother of Jesus. Now, what would have to happen for you to believe that your brother is the Messiah, that he's God, for him to die, and then you see him rise from the dead? And so we see individuals, we see smaller groups, we see larger groups, and they all saw the resurrected Christ. And in that moment when I'm thinking, what would be my answer? It's this. And I know you have those doubts. Why do I believe this stuff? Why do, why do I give my money? Why do I give my time? It's going to come up if it hasn't already. And we're to go to the testimony of those found in Scripture. We go to the testimony of Peter, of Thomas. That's what gives us confidence. So I want to ask you, do you believe the evidence about the resurrection? Do you believe these accounts of others seeing Jesus? Do you believe this testimony of Thomas? 
This one who had given up everything for Christ, who was crushed by disappointment, but then he believes. And if you do believe, can you make Thomas's confession your confession? Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your God? And if you want to make that decision today, we would love to talk with you. If today you want to be baptized, you've made that decision, but you've not taken that next step of, of making your faith public, make today the day that you're baptized. And I would ask if you would please close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. If you are ready to place your faith in Jesus today, we are told to confess our sin and believe in the risen Lord Jesus. If that is you today, we would love to visit with you. We would love to lead you in that to help you in any way we can. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus, if you are struggling with doubt with your faith in terms of questioning if the resurrection of Jesus really happened, and we all have those doubts from time to time, if that is you, look to the testimony of Thomas. Take confidence that Jesus died but also that Jesus rose again from the grave. Jesus lives today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage. Lord, we can make light of it. We can make fun of doubting Thomas. But Lord, we are so thankful that this story is there, that this man that was doubtful, that was skeptical, but when he saw you, he believed that we can take confidence in his testimony. Lord, we thank you for your grace in our life. Lord, we thank you how, like Thomas, Lord Jesus, you gently and compassionately say, believe. And Lord, our hope is today that those who have not trusted in you as their Lord and Savior will take that step. They will make that decision, Lord, to follow you. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. We ask in your name. Amen.